Amen. All right. Well, guys, we are starting a new series today, which is so, so exciting. We've been sitting on this for a while. We're going to be journeying through this for pretty much the whole month, the next four weeks. And uh, did anyone get your cards at the door? If you don't get a card, raise your hand. We'll have someone on our team pass it to you. Uh, this card is very important. We'll talk about it in a bit. Uh, but this series is called Rest, Rhythms, and Reset. Can we say that? Brad needs that. Rest, Rhythms, and Reset. Sky needs it too. Anybody else need that? I need that. Come on. Come and grab it. Um, you know, as I was preparing this series at every start of the year, I'm really intentional of like, okay, hey, Lord, what do you want to usher our church into as a body? Uh, anytime we do sermon series, we don't do sermon series just to do sermon series. Uh, we really want to dive into what God is speaking, the culture wants to breathe into our community. And uh, just through talking through to a lot of people and a lot of people in our community, a lot of people in our leadership, even my own life, I'm like, man, this is something that our body, and I feel like just the body of Christ in general, desperately needs. That we desperately need rest. We desperately need rhythms in our lives. We desperately need a reset. And so we're going to journey through this, guys, and I really do believe, like, this, this series, if you're really intentional with this, come every Sunday, you're intentional with, with what we're walking through as a church, I really do believe that this is just going to be, like, a breeding grounds for the Holy Spirit to transform your life. And I know that, like, I kind of have to say that, but I actually do believe that there's something on this series that, one, is very practical for all my brain practical fingers in the room, right? It's very practical but it's also very prevalent in the life of Jesus, and that's what makes this more important, right? And so I want to start us out here. Uh, today is kind of the intro of this series. I'm, I'm going to lay some groundwork. Uh, so if you're taking notes, please take notes. If you're not, please take notes. Uh, there's <laughs> there's going to be a lot of information, and I want you guys to really just hold on to this. And uh, I'll explain more at the end, but we're actually going to walk through implementing rest rhythms and, and, and having and experiencing a reset for 30 days as a church. I know a lot of churches do 30-day fast. Um, we're too cool for that, so we're going to do 30 days of rest, rhythms, and reset. Come on. Uh, and we are going to fast, by the way, but it's just going to be a little bit cooler. So uh, stay with us. It's going to be amazing. So let's start here. Uh, when we look at Israel, when we think of the story of Israel, when we think of the exodus of, of Israel leaving Egypt, I think it's really important for us to understand that God wasn't just leading them out of something. But he was leading them into something. God wasn't just saying, hey, Israel, you've been in captivity for hundreds of years. Let's just get out of captivity and good luck. Right? He didn't just lead them out of captivity. He led them into something new. That these are a people who've been oppressed for generations, hundreds of years of captivity, living in a different opposing rule and kingdom, or we think about the habits, the patterns, the generational mindsets, the way of life that was instilled in them, their children and their children's children. Think about that. But we also know just because God delivered them out of Egypt, it doesn't mean that they were free from the remnant of Egypt still within them. We see that, 40 years of wandering, because Egypt was still in them. 
Do you know why they worshiped idols? Because that's what they did. That wasn't like some new, like, let's just make a calf. Sounds like a great idea. This is what they knew. All they knew was to work. They're slaves. They're oppressed. All they knew was, I have to strive simply to survive. All they knew was, hey, I I actually can't enjoy and delight and experience the freedom of worshiping Yahweh because I'm oppressed by a Pharaoh in another kingdom. And so in their journey in the wilderness, we have to understand what God was doing was very intentional. What God was leading them into, you think of, of like if you even think about the Old Testament, you think about the Exodus and the Israel coming out of captivity, you think about how intentional God is in their journey. They were led, right, by a pillar of fire by night so they wouldn't get cold. And they were led by a pillar of cloud by day so they wouldn't get hot. God was so intentional in their process. Right? This was a people who had no identity. They didn't know what real rest was. Their life had no beauty. They had no order. And they were stuck in a broken pattern of living. And so their journey into the wilderness, I know we, we, we've, we've almost made like the wilderness like this horrible thing. I'm just in my wilderness season, right? And the wilderness is beautiful. Is that he leads his beloved into the wilderness. That their journey in the wilderness was a necessary process of healing, of restoration, and of renewal. So in the period during the wilderness, God gave them a new identity. I want you to hear this. God gave them a new identity as his chosen people. He gave them the law to protect them and to set them apart. He had them build the tabernacle, a dwelling place where God's presence was among them and led them. He gave them feasts and celebrations, right? God loves to party to remind them of their freedom and that they were no longer slaves. He taught them how to rest. He instilled new rhythms in their life and he reset them to who he originally made them to be. Romans 12, 2, we know this verse. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so the same journey Israel walked through is the journey Jesus walks us through today. Unlearn the patterns of this world and to be renewed into his image. And even though we've been set free spiritually, we're still being made whole. Just because they were freed from Egypt, there's still remnants. But we're still being made whole. We're still growing to become more like him. And so the invitation of Jesus, guys, as a born-again believer, shout out if that's you, There we go. The invitation of Jesus as a born-again believer is to be daily, say daily, Daily. discipled by him through his spirit. 
This is the way of sanctification, and there is no other. I said there is no other. This is the way of sanctification. Who knows that you don't accidentally become more like Jesus? Oh, I tripped today. Man, I'm like, fruit is coming on my life, right? This is the way of sanctification. Let's go to Colossians 3.10. It says this, put on your new nature and be renewed. I love this. As you learn to know your creator and become like him. That'll preach. So how does this work? Step one. Just kidding. Uh, but the first thing is you've been given a new nature. Don't you hear this? You've been given a new nature, but you have to actively put it on. Put on your new nature. When you received Jesus, your old nature was crucified with him. It's dead. So when he sees you, he doesn't see old nature. What that means is your default is not sin. Your default is actually holiness. Because you have a new nature. You're like, well, why do I keep sinning? Because you got to be renewed. <laughs> right? We're not learning how to die. We're learning how to live. So you got to put on, come on, put it on, your new nature actively. And that new nature is what you're being renewed into. Because that new nature is his. He's given you nature. So you put on the new nature actively. The second thing is that the new nature is what you're being renewed into. And the third is you become renewed by knowing him and learning to become like him. How crazy is that, guys? You can learn, and you can know him, and you can learn to become like him. This is God. I don't know about you, but this is a pretty accessible person that says, hey, you can know me. And your life will be renewed as you learn to become like me. So like I said, the invitation of Jesus as a born again believer is to be daily discipled by him through his spirit. This is the way of sanctification. There is no other. Billy Graham, he says this, that salvation is free but discipleship to Jesus costs everything we have. Congratulations. You got a free ticket into heaven. What are you going to do about it? Discipleship to Jesus costs everything we have. And so for us to understand where we are heading through this series, guys, we have to first understand discipleship to Jesus. So we're not implementing a bunch of self-help stuff. It doesn't work. We're doing Colossians 3.10. <laughs> we're being renewed as we learn to know him and become like him. Luke 9.23, can we go there? It says this, 
Then he said to them all, this is Jesus, whoever wants to be a disciple, who wants to be his disciple? Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. You must deny yourself. Oh, so many hands went down. Just kidding. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny, okay, themselves and take up their cross, what? Daily. Daily and follow me. Guys, following him is costly. And we have to ask ourselves, is our relationship with Jesus costly? Ask yourself, is your relationship with Jesus costly? And if it's not, then I have to beg the question, are you actually being a disciple or are you just being a follower? Jesus had thousands of followers. I mean, crowds. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to hear him preach. They wanted an encounter. They wanted a good moment during worship. They wanted to be in the room. But only 12 people were named disciples. Narrow is the gate. So a disciple, I want you to hear this, a disciple, this is what separates a follower from a disciple. A follower just wants to watch. A disciple desires to learn not only the teachings of their rabbi, but to imitate the practical details of their life. To be a disciple is to embody Jesus' life here on earth. A disciple in the context of Jesus' time were full-on apprentices. This was their full-time commitment. Guys, being a disciple is not a part-time job. It's not a side hustle. It's not a side gig. It's not, he's not a side piece. He's not an accessory. It's a full-time commitment. Daily, pick up your curls. So hearing all this, looking at our lives, looking at the way that we live, looking at the patterns, because there's patterns, guys, right? Depending how you grew up, depending on what you've experienced, depending on the pain that's walked into your life, the absence of someone, there's patterns that have become like a cycle in our lives. And this is the beautiful thing about being discipled by Jesus. He doesn't just get you out the cage. He teaches you now how to live. This is the exodus. That every single one of us, even me as a pastor for several years, still need a spiritual exodus. And so this is what we're tapping into as a, as, a, as a church through this series to walk through a spiritual exodus, to learn to live from rest, to remove the clutter, and to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and through us without resistance. I love this quote. I heard this quote this, this, this uh, past week. 
I want to be a no resistance home to the Holy Spirit. I felt that. What would it look like to live as a no resistance home, your temple to the Holy Spirit? That when the Holy Spirit's like, hey, don't you say that. There's no resistance. You're like, yes, Holy Spirit. You're right. When your pride is rising up and, you know, you want to get what you think you deserve, the Holy Spirit's like, hey, remember, mercy triumphs over judgment. Is there going to be resistance? It says, no, I'm right. Or are you going to be yielded? It says, Holy Spirit, you're right, not me. What would it look like? to be a no-resistance home to the Holy Spirit. And then to ultimately learn the rhythms of Jesus, to become better disciples, and ultimately to become more like him. And so, I think we often want the life of Jesus. I mean, hopefully you should, <laughs> if you're a Christian. We often want the life of Jesus but what stops us from actually walking and living and, 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 and receiving the life of Jesus is we want the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. We say it at this side of the room. We want the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. This is discipleship. What is the the intricate details of his life that he's inviting me to follow. Guys, when he says, follow me, this is a very layered request. Doesn't say, hey, just go to Fifth Street. Follow me in your car. It's saying, hey, I move here. You move here. You lift your hand. I lift my hand. You lift your hand. Right? We're supposed to imitate him. All right. And so for the next month, we will be diving into and implementing four key practices or disciplines of Jesus. You ready for this? Which is Sabbath, community, prayer, and fasting. So for the next 30 days as a church, we're going to implement these four daily and weekly practices of Jesus. The heart is for this time at the beginning of the year to be a first fruits offering to the Lord, to see him move, renew, and align us for the rest of our year. What sparked this, we, we taught on first fruits, I think it was the last Sunday. And I had this realization, I was like, wait, what if, what if we give God a first fruits offering through our life? That says, Lord, the beginning of my life, I'm going to so sacrificially and so radically give it to you. The word first fruits, by the way, in Hebrew means promise to come. I'm going to sacrifice this to you and trust that you're going to bless the rest of my year. What would happen if we start our year saying, God, I am, I'm going to sacrifice the comfort of just having a really easy start of my year and saying, I'm actually going to buckle down, say, Jesus, I'm going to walk how you're walking. I'm going to live how you're living. 
And I'm going to trust that the rest is going to be impacted by what is established in this 30 days. Does that make sense? Okay. So before uh, I dive into it, I'm going to just give a quick summary on, on each one. But Galatians 6, 8, let's go there. Galatians 6, 8, you guys okay? You want to feel slapped? Good. It's the goal. Uh, Galatians 6, 8 says this, For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption. (laughs) For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This news may have come out. We've had a major life change. Guys, maybe have heard it wandering around the church. But we officially have chickens. So we're pretty much farmers at this point. The goal is goats by the summer, being serious. Uh, We want to get goats. But as a farmer, right, the job is... I'm not a farmer, not even close. Um... Yeah, I'm like walking in my Birkenstock clogs, right, to my chickens. It's like, I need farmer boots or something. Um, All right, a farmer's job is to provide the right conditions for the growing of plants or seeds. And what he does is he cultivates the ground, he plants the seeds, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the harvest. This is the way with spiritual disciplines, they are a way of sowing, uh, 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 of sowing to the Spirit. These disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us in a place where he can work within us. Right To sow into the Spirit. And so the spiritual disciplines, I want you to hear this. This is important before we start this series. The spiritual disciplines alone can do nothing. But with the Lord, they get us to a place where transformation can happen. It's important to remember that the practices are not the end goal. Jesus and discipleship to him is. You guys ready? Sabbath. I'll take a deep breath. So I want to break Sabbath down for you guys, and I'm going to give you guys some tips of how to implement this. And uh, as a church, I'll I'll summarize this so this doesn't confuse anyone. This is on the back of your card, if you have it. Starting this week, this this is what we as a church corporately are stepping into, is we are going to block off one specific day every week for this month, Sabbath. All right, she's hype. For community, you're going to commit to meet intentionally with believers at least, if not more, once a week. Prayer, you're going to practice prayer consistently at least once a day. And then fasting, we're going to practice fasting once a week. One day, every week for the month of I think February, March, I don't know. But that's what we're stepping into, all right? So Sabbath 
Sabbath is a holy and set apart day to rest, to cease, to delight, and to worship. Does that sound good? It sounds pretty good. Mark 2, 27, it says this, then he said to them, this is Jesus, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it's important for us to know that as followers of Jesus, God does not expect us to live by Israel's laws. However, the wisdom of these laws still remain. And the law of the Sabbath is rich with significance for us today. And so what happened is, and during Jesus' time, right, we see that uh, the Sabbath was given to Israel in the wilderness. It was uh, appointed as a weekly rhythm of remembrance for their people. The Sabbath was a weekly commandment. It was a commanded rhythm to remember how God rested from the work on the seventh day. How beautiful is that? God's like, hey, when I completed creation, I rested. Not because I was tired, because the work was done. What's significant was man's first day was God's last day. Man was created to live from rest. And so he, he gave them this rhythm. Every week, I want you to Sabbath. You're not allowed to work, right? Like to the detail, there's so many things they couldn't do. They're there to simply rest, to focus on God, to worship him. And so what happens is we see the Pharisees and there's so much back and forth with Jesus and the Pharisees about the Sabbath. They're like, it makes no sense. We're like, why are you healing on the Sabbath? Which I don't know why that's a concern because he just healed someone. It's not like a normal thing. But anyways, they have this back and forth and, and Jesus is, is, is confronting them because they've added all of these extra commands and laws and rules to the Sabbath that, that Jesus, who is God, was like, this was never the intent. Sabbath was not meant to be a weight. <laughs> it was not meant to be something that actually oppressed you. It's something to free you. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So as believers now, understanding that God gave this to his people, you don't have to do this. But if I gave you $100 every week, I'll take it. <laughs> So Sabbath is not a command that we are bound to. It's a promise we're invited to enjoy. Sabbath rest is an invitation, listen, to practice our eternity in God's presence. Sabbath is about subtraction. It's not about addition. It's not about adding more things to your day. Sabbath is about subtraction. It's about removing distractions, clutter, prioritizing connection with God, ourselves, and others. My mentor says this phrase that marked me. He says, revelation comes to the rested. Revelation comes to the rested. That rest empties the cup and replenishes your capacity. Some of y'all's cup, cups are way too full. You need to empty it. <laughs> I heard someone say that what stress, when stress comes into our life, I want you to listen to this. This will change the way you think. When stress comes into your life, it's because there is more demand than supply. Mm -hmm. 
catch on the podcast. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, stress comes into your life when there is way more demand than supply. Why was Jesus never stressed? He had a lot of supply, right? I mean, you know, me and my family, we started Sabbath probably over a year ago. We have not done it perfectly, but we still go for it, and we still do it, and um, we have our seasons, but we're in a good rhythm now. But, you know, our lives is crazy. I work full-time outside of Breakthrough, still do Breakthrough, about to have two kids, leading teams, so much demand. I'm sure all of you guys understand, right? There's so much demand. You got to answer emails all the time. You got to respond to people. You got to get things done. Got to lead this team. Got to do this thing. Got to go there. You got to listen to that person's problems. Got to help that person through that. All that, right? It's there's so much demand, and this is the thing. This is why so many pastors burn out. Why so many pastors fall out of ministry? Why so many pastors are still addicted to pornography or divorce their wives? It's because they don't know how to balance the demand with supply. And here's the thing. I know there's a lot of young people in, right in the room right now, and you don't have a lot of demand, even if you think you do. I promise you, you don't. Practice this now. Once you have kids, all the parents know, it's a lot of demand. And so this is the gift of the Sabbath. As it says, every week, I'm going to set aside, right? The Sabbath is called holy, by the way, which means it's set apart. So we set apart a day to rest, to get supply, right? I love Comer. He breaks it down. He says to rest, to cease, to delight, and to worship. So here's some tips to keeping the Sabbath. I'm going to preach on Sabbath more in depth next week. But you're going to implement this this week, so you better focus. Tips to keeping the Sabbath. Pick a consistent day and time. Preferably a 24-hour period. Traditional Jewish Sabbath start at sundown, right? The day of to the next day. Because Jewish days start with rest. They, they start their day and then they go to sleep and then they wake up. It's pretty great. So pick a consistent day and time, preferably a 24-hour period. Create a beginning and ending ritual. This has helped me so much. If you just accidentally or casually do Sabbath, it won't work. Have a beginning and ending ritual. Traditional Jewish Sabbaths begin by lighting candles, by praying, by blessing the children, by eating a Shabbat meal or Sabbath meal with family and community. You can be creative with this. You want to start your Sabbath by taking a bubble bath, you know, if that's what gets you into it. If you want to start your Sabbath by worshiping, whatever you want to do, it helps to have a beginning and ending ritual. This is important. During your Sabbath, turn off your phone. Please, just do it. Turn off your phone during the duration of your Sabbath. Cease from any work your job, cleaning, ministry duties, emails, etc., that brings stress, is demanding, and takes away from rest and delight. So this may require preparation for some of you. If your house is super dirty and you want to fully rest on Sabbath, clean your house the day before. 
Answer your emails the day before. Get your homework done the day before, okay? And during your Sabbath, pick a few activities to participate in. You guys ready for this? Here's some activities that will help you. Uh, having a Shabbat meal or just eat really good food. Bless your children. Express gratitude, worship, sleep, take a nap. Go somewhere that brings joy. You know, me and my wife, sometimes we take day trips. So we'll just go on a quick day trip. Walk. Come on, intimacy with your spouse. Shout out. Wow. Not a lot of people want that. That's fine. Um, read a good book. Read scripture. Right? These are good Sabbath activities to participate in. So this is what we're going to do as a church that we are going to implement and we're going to block off one specific day to Sabbath. We're going to practice this for the next month. Okay? Anyone going to do it? All right. Some of you are like, I got to pray about it. I don't know about that. Um, so pick a day, right? We actually, this is, this is actually a blessing. Um, so I used to do freelance. I was a freelance designer for a couple of years. And uh, ended up transitioning, taking a full-time job as a designer at Bethel. And I was like, man, I lost my Sabbath, right? Because now I work full-time, remote. And I literally went to my boss. I was like, hey, after a month of not having a Sabbath, like, I'm, like, dying. <laughs> like, straight up. Once I removed the Sabbath, after that being a normal rhythm, I was like, man, this is too much. I can't work five days, do ministry five days, be family seven days, you know, all that. And I went to my boss, and I was like, hey, can I have a Sabbath? <laughs> Literally, I asked, can I have my Fridays off and I'll work a little bit longer Monday to Thursday, and they gave it to me. And so if you want this, the Lord's on it. He'll make a way. So there's no excuses. All right. So second is community. Say community. Community is where we heal. It's where we are encouraged. It's where we're edified, and it's where we live out the mission of Jesus together. Ephesians 4.16, it says this, that he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the others grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Say the word participation. This is what community means. Literally, the word fellowship which is the closest word we can see in scripture to community means to participate. As each one of us walks into your calling, you help the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and is full of love. You see, I always think it was interesting in Genesis in the garden when God made Adam, right, this is pre-fall, God made Adam and he looked at Adam and he said, it is good that man should not be alone. It's interesting. Because God's there. <laughs> There's animals. Sin hasn't even touched the ground of the earth. And he looked at Adam and he said, hey, you're alone. Let me give you someone else to do life with. You know, I used to have this season in my life where I was just, I don't know, I was like living like a monk. I don't know what's happening, but I was just like so zealous for Jesus. I shared this story before. I was like, Lord, I would just live in a cave for the rest of my life and just read scripture and worship and I'll be fine. 
Like I literally said that and I believe that. I was like, I, I will be so content just being in a cave by myself. I don't need anyone, I don't need anything. Like just you and me, like that's, that's enough. Which sounds good. And the Lord's probably like patting my back in that moment. He's like, okay, <laughs> I see your heart. But he rebuked me. He's like, I didn't create you for that. You're not created to be alone, right? Scripture says that he sets the lonely in what? Family. This is the beauty why God is triune, not why God is triune, but an aspect of his, his being being triune is that God before there was anything was already in community and were made in his image. All right, you'll get that tomorrow. Right, we're created in his image. Community is a part of our design. Guys, you can only grow and heal so much by yourself. Someone needs to hear that. You can only grow and heal so much by yourself because the enemy loves to isolate believers. It's like, it's like the first thing that happens whenever someone's kind of jaded, right? Or they're hurt. They won't talk about it, but they'll isolate. Because the enemy knows if he can disconnect them, well, they're done. <laughs> Guys, we need community. We need it. So here's some tips to being in community. First thing is that community is meant to be diverse. You need mothers and fathers. You need spiritual mentors. You need those who are ahead of you. And then you also need people running next to you. And then you need those you can pour into. It's community. I always give this example that community is not a buffet. It's a potluck. It isn't, let me just come, you know, golden crowds, super gross. It's like leftover food. It's been there for, since, you know, the morning. It's like, let's just have a, you know, a buffet. It's not community. It's we come, we bring our best, and we share. We each other right? There's, there's a lot of young people in this room. It's a lot, just what it is. <laughs> but we also have a lot of amazing parents and young families and spiritual parents and people who've walked further along the journey with Jesus. That common environment like this, and they're still receiving, even from young people around them, right? It's like they're receiving how to still be passionate from young people and young people are receiving how to still be faithful for older people, right? We need community. You need mentors in your life. You need to be discipled. You need people, right? Iron sharpens iron, people that you can run with, but then you also need to be pouring into other people as well. All right. Another tip for living in communities, live with an open heart. True community cannot exist without vulnerability. And there's a difference of transparency and vulnerability. Transparency is saying, hey, you can look through the window. I'll show you what's going on. But vulnerability is actually saying, hey, you can come in. You can walk with me. You can sit with me. I'm going to give you access. So live with an open heart. Practice generosity. Serve your friends. Serve those in need. Right, we, we see Acts, when the church started, they literally sold their homes because there was needs in their community. 
Live in generosity, serve your friends, serve those in needs. Use your gifts to edify and build those up around you. Here's a good one some of you need to hear. Listen more than you speak. All right. The last one is get plugged into a consistent gathering of believers, whether that's home groups, whether that's a team, whether that's Sunday mornings, whether it's a friend group that you have, right? Do not neglect gathering together, Hebrews says. So what we're going to implement is we're going to commit to intentionally meet with fellow believers to break bread, to connect, and to grow together. We're going to practice this at least once a week, all right? Who's going to do that? Most of us probably already do, hopefully. All right, the third one is prayer. This is a good one. Prayer is the act of coming into agreement with the Father's will. It is to be still, to listen, to cast your worries, and to connect with the Lord. Uh, Luke 11, 1 4 says this Once Jesus was in a certain place, which is significant, Jesus had a certain place. Praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John, not Ton, I don't know who that is, as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Whoa, this is God. Hey, this is how you should pray. He's giving you instructions. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. Guys, Jesus wasn't asked how to preach. Jesus wasn't asked, hey, how do we perform miracles? How do we, you know, your face is glowing on that mountain. How do I do that, right? They don't ask him that. They ask him, how do we pray? And I think this is so interesting so if I was walking with Jesus, I'd be like, I want to walk on water, right? I want to, like, multiply my food. I want, like, 10 kava bowls stored up. But there is something significant about the way that Jesus prayed. And I want you to hear this. This is so important. Jewish people knew how to pray. They had recited prayers three times a day. They prayed more, more than most Christians do. They prayed. They knew how to pray, but there was something about the way Jesus prayed when he was alone in a certain place, and when he came back, they saw him, they're like, whoa, something's different. There's supply. There's something different than what we've been taught how to pray. And he starts this out, this is important, he starts by teaching them that prayer starts from relationship, our Father. This was not a primary revelation. They didn't have a revelation or or at least a, a present revelation of God being Father, right? So he teaches them that prayer starts from relationship, that we have to know the one that we're praying to. That prayer isn't about convincing God to do something, it's about partnering with him. Prayer and intercession releases God's will on earth, right? He said, pray this on earth as it is in heaven. 
told Peter that he's given us the keys to the kingdom to exercise the authority he's been given us. There's a lot in prayer that we've just watered down and we've ignored. And we're like, man, that's what grandma does. Or, you know, that's just like something you do because you're a Christian. But when you actually understand the depth of what prayer is and does for yourself, for those around you, it will shift things. Last thing I'll say on this is if you get bored praying after a few minutes, anyone? If you get bored praying after a few minutes, then, there's, then that says more about you than it says about God. It shows that there's so much more of God for you to discover in your relationship. David says, one thing I seek, right, is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze at his beauty that he tapped into what prayer actually does and is. All right, so here's some tips to stepping into a practice of prayer is set a time of day to be still and focus on connecting with Jesus, right? Jesus went to a certain place. It says he would often go to lonely places. Set a time of day to be still and focus on connecting with Jesus. Next thing is start by becoming aware of his presence. Start by becoming aware of his presence. The third is talk to God by thanksgiving, if you're worried, anxiety, is this dying? For my what? Oh. We'll move on. Right, talk to God by expressing thanksgiving, give him your worries, your anxieties, your fears. So you talk to God, but then you also listen to God, giving him space to speak, journal what you hear, meditate on scripture, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak through it. Last tip is partner with God through intercession. Come in alignment with his will. Pray for his will to be done in your situations, people you know, and things happening around the world. So how we're going to implement this is that consistently we're going to sit with the Lord, be in his presence, listen, read scripture, and stay in dialogue. And we're going to practice this daily. It means every day. All right, fourth and last one. You guys ready? Fasting. There we go. Fasting is to deny the flesh and feed your spirit. It is to reject something that you are dependent on to draw closer to the Lord. Of Matthew 9, 15, Jesus is asked about fasting. And Jesus said, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Because they're asking, why aren't your disciples with you fasting? But Jesus says this, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, which has already happened, then they will fast, which is now. So you hear this, because none of these are, are, are like laws, God's not saying, if you don't do this, you are not saved. <laughs> you are sinning. But these are gifts. These are tools that are very, very important. And so fasting, fasting is the practice of rejecting dependency on food, primarily or major distractions and allowing the Lord to fill that desire to develop greater dependency on him. 
Matthew 6, 16, Jesus says, when you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. If you want to or not. If it's convenient for you. He says, when you fast. Right, he expected it of us. So fasting, we're gonna really dive into this a couple weeks. Fasting is a discipline that prepares and strengthens us. I don't know if you guys know this, but Jesus fasted before he was tempted in the wilderness. He fasted and then it says he was tempted. That fasting is a discipline that prepares and strengthens us. Fasting helps us deny our flesh and allow the fruit of the spirit to bear in our life. Fasting brings us in a deeper level of dependency to receive from the Lord, to hear him clear and to walk in greater authority. I love this quote, you guys ready? The best form of self-love is discipline. The best form of self-love is discipline. And fasting is a vehicle to bring more discipline in your life. So here's some tips to engaging a fast. Decide what you're fasting from and how long. And then seek what you're fasting for. Whether that's personal transformation, whether it's freedom from something, whether it's miracles, whether it's greater intimacy with the Lord. I did a a fast to see uh, someone in my family know Jesus. I've done fast for myself to know Jesus more, right? So knowing what you're fasting for and what you're fasting from. And then if you're going on a prolonged fast, make sure it's prompted by the Holy Spirit. The last one is that fasting is a discipline that is connected to prayer. They work together. Without prayer, fasting is just a diet. Jesus says this kind, right? The the kid who is possessed, his disciples go to Jesus. "Why, Why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus says this kind can only get out by prayer and fasting. So how are we going to implement this? You guys ready? Is that we're going to set aside a full day to abstain from food and or distractions to develop a greater spiritual appetite. And we're going to practice this once a week. No woos for that. Woo woo. Um, so we're going to practice this, guys. One day, it's not a lot. Right, maybe we'll do a 30-day only water fast next year. We'll see. But one day, you guys can do it. I know for me, when I never fasted before, the first time I fasted was just, I did a one-day fast. Changed my life. So we're going to practice this. Encourage you, fast from food. I know we try to, like, modernize it. I'm going to fast from video games. I'm like, I don't know if Jesus said that. Um, Fast from food if you can. I know there's pregnant moms and people with health conditions, and so just ask the Lord, you know what to do. If there's something else you're supposed to fast. But if you don't, I encourage you to fast from food. And, hey, feel free to fast from other things, too. You want to throw them in and make it a bundle package? You know, do it. All right. You guys okay? Does this make sense? Tracking? All right. Last thing I want to read this, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 29. 
It says this. Jesus says this. Are you tired? Are you out? Are you burned out on religion? Let me say that again. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Then come to me. This is where this starts. We have to come to him. He says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. There's a lot of people in this room. You need to recover your life. Your life is too busy. Your mind is too cluttered. You're doing way too many things. You're chasing desires that God is not telling you to chase. And you ask, why does God seem far away? Get away with him and you'll recover your life. He says this, and I'll show you how to take a real rest. If there's a real rest, there means there's a fake rest. I wanna show you how to really rest. You know, you've taken a nap before and you woke up more tired. You've done that before, hate it. I want to show you how to take a real rest. Verse 29, walk with me. Uh-oh, here's discipleship. Walk with me and work with me. Huh, I'm supposed to rest. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I'm going to read the NIV version of this as well. It says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Who needs, who needs rest for their souls? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We read this verse and we hear the rest part and we're like, that's awesome, I'll sign up for that. What's interesting, Jesus is saying, hey, come to me, I'll give you rest. But this is how I'll give you rest, is you're gonna walk with me. You're gonna put on my yoke, right? What's a yoke, right? You have two cattle or bulls plowing a field, the yoke is a tool that connects them so that they walk together. This is what the spiritual disciplines are. They're the yoke. They're what connects you to Jesus so that you can walk in his rhythm, so that you can walk in his pace. Too many of us are walking faster than Jesus is leading us to walk. And for the majority of us, we're walking slower than Jesus is leading us to walk. And so Jesus is leading us to live from a supply of rest, to walk in rhythms of empowering grace, and to reset us to walk in our new nature. 
And so I want to encourage you guys as we implement these in the next 30 days to do it with people. Do it with community. Do it with your friends. Make sure you schedule out each practice in your calendar. You have to be intentional. Otherwise, this won't work. Right? You don't accidentally become more like Jesus. That tattooed on your arm. Or accidentally become more like Jesus. It's intentional. Walk of discipleship. And the last thing, say last thing. You have to know it's going to be costly. You have to know. It's going to be costly. Right? Salvation is free. Congrats. But discipleship will cost you everything. But here is the promise you'll recover your life. Here's the promise you'll actually know God face to face. Here's the promise you'll discover rest for your souls. Here's the promise you're not going to be alone. Amen.